This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike, and really excited to bring you today's episode. Uh, We interview Dr. Steve Grafe. Steve is the former sports psychologist at The Ohio State University. That's where Josh and I met him. But today he's running Mindurance and helping people become mentally tough. And there's a lot of good things we talk about here on the interview with Steve. One of them is the fact that psychology is so important and it's really involved in almost everything we do. There's so much that we can learn from psychology. Everything, arguably, everything is psychological. I like being able to share that knowledge with others to help them use that knowledge to navigate their life more effectively. Another topic we touched on was that what it takes to be a good athlete can sometimes be counterproductive for mental health. Early on, we connect to this athletics endeavor and we get a lot of reinforcement for that. And so it reinforces the creation of this identity that I can be this athlete and that's going to bring positive things into my life. You have this obsessive craft that you really want to do well in that also teaches you that seeking help for things isn't exactly how athletes go about doing their business. So that's a conflict. Steve gives a lot of great insights throughout this episode. I'm confident you're going to enjoy it. Let's dive right into the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. We've got a full house today. I'm your co-host, Mike. We got Tim and Josh here in the booth as well. What's going on, gentlemen? Not much, dude. Weather in Columbus sucks today. I feel like we always start with the weather. It's really the only thing that's on my mind yeah, walking you, you from the You literally bring up the weather here. every time, 100% of the it's time. A it's a very Midwest thing to do. It's raining. Yeah, it, it, it did come down though today. It was yeah. like not a normal rain. It was a, an ex- aggressive rain. Yeah, yeah, pretty aggressive rain. It's going to be warm on Sunday, but 67 on Saturday. Welcome to Ohio. And our guest today on the show is Dr. Steve Grafe. And Steve is a psychologist and the founder of Mindurance, an organization that helps high performers across industries minimize mental barriers and maximize life through online self-study, group programs, and personal coaching. And prior to founding Mindurance, Steve was a sports psychologist for OSU Athletics, and he was also a mental conditioning consultant for IMG Academy. That's actually how Josh and I met Steve through OSU. So we're excited to have Steve here on the show today to talk about Mindurance, how we can reduce stress and optimize our minds, and more. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Steve. Oh, I love that. That's a great bio. That sounds good. Rolls well, off the you know, it, yeah, what people won't know is that it took me two, two attempts <laughs> to get it, but we're going to cut that out. A two-take Jake. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the first places we like to start, Steve, is for everybody out there, just get a little background on you, your life, kind of the big highlights along the way, anywhere from, you know, have you always been in Ohio? Yeah, I have. Basically, my entire life grew up in Northeast Ohio in between Akron and Canton in a small town called Uniontown and had a pretty strong football team back then, a Division II Uniontown Lake High School and was fortunate to actually walk on and play football at The Ohio State, so came down to The Ohio State University, and I throw out the term play, and uh, for those listeners out there that recognize the name, or more appropriately, probably do not recognize the name, but know every Ohio State football player that ever played, you're probably wondering, well, that name doesn't sound familiar. I'm not really sure who that guy is. There's a reason for that. I was I walked on, it's preferred walk on, and I played two plays my entire four years there. So my role was basically to keep the team GPA up and pretend to be the other team's defense that we were playing that week. Nonetheless, back in 2002, your boy uh, got himself a national championship ring. So (laughs) ended up being at The Ohio State University, majored in psychology, went back north, got my master's and PhD in counseling psychology from the University of Akron, goes zips, and kind of bounced around a little bit after that while I was working on my dissertation, did anything legally I could do for a 1099. So taught at like Kent State, University of Akron, Walsh, Brown Mackey. 
and then eventually landed a gig at Altman College of Nursing, was a dean there for a little while. And then in 2013, actually was fortunate to come back to Ohio State and be one of the sports psychologists there. And so I was at Ohio State for five and a half years working with the student athletes there, which was a super cool experience. But then after five and a half years of that, realized I was ready for something else. And and that was kind of the genesis behind my endurance. And so it's super awesome to be here, being able to talk about my journey, a little bit about stress management and performance enhancement. And we'll see what we get into today. The way that you got that championship ring is how I'm approaching business. I was like doing my own thing, right? So now I'm trying to join the other team, you know, give give the minimal about amount of effort, but still, you know, well, <laughs> benefit on the sale. Of the- I would take yeah. offense to that because I got my championship ring the same way as Steve. And I'll tell you what, you don't get to give the minimal amount of effort if <laughs> yeah, you want to be on the Ohio State football team or any team. No, I'll, right. say, I'll, add my, I'll add my bitterness to that because <laughs> yeah. it was the year after I graduated. I'm going to come at you, Tim. I'm going to so, you over the so table. So that came out incorrectly. I want to give my value, but <laughs> I want to be the worst person on the team that makes sense. <laughs> Riding coattails I can, still requires yeah. a lot of effort. I can, yeah, you know, <laughs> I can live with that statement. But So when I was in a band, when I was in a band for a long time, you wanted to be the worst musician in the band because that meant you had the ability to to go up, right? If I'm the best, then this is as good as we're going to get. And I'm never, I'm no, you know, starter mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for the team. So right. I didn't mean to offend okay. any of you guys. Uh, it's okay. I struck a real chord here. Don't worry. I was gonna say. Don't worry. You got two wrestlers and a football player in the room and we were all walk-ons. Can we so. kick Tim out after <laughs> right. that really in- inspiring well, monologue? <laughs> so as you reflect back, you, you bounced around, you back were teaching in a, in a lot of different places during that time. And then you went back into actually practicing. Did you enjoy the teaching aspect ever? Do you, do you enjoy more being in the practice and working with individuals? I think it's really important for me to have both because there's so much that we can learn from psychology. And I think sometimes the folks that teach psychology uh, can sometimes miss that. And everything, arguably, granted I'm biased, but everything is psychological. I mean, how you uh, communicate with somebody, how you make sense of the surroundings, uh, how you navigate particular environments, even our sight and our hearing and our sensory abilities is psychological in nature in a lot of ways. So I like being able to share that knowledge with others. However, I also really enjoy the opportunity to take those teachings, to sew them down into the most important aspects, and then to be able to share those one-on-one with clients or with a group of clients to be able to help them use that knowledge to navigate their life more effectively. And that's what really brings me joy is when you're able to see somebody go from point A to B or from B to Z, using that knowledge in, a, in an appropriate and applied way. It's, it's super rewarding. So when you got to Ohio State and you're working with some of the most elite level athletes in their field, maybe in the world, definitely in the country, what are some trends or, or any that you identified as you went through these conversations and you were helping these individuals overcome the different struggles they were, that they were working through mentally? Yeah, so I think to be a true high performer, and this is kind of an interesting uh, conversation in and of itself is, is what exactly is peak performance and how do you reach peak performance? And I guess a lot in my practice, I, I like to view things a bit from like practical peak performance. We're not Michael Phelps's or LeBron James's necessarily walking around. And so what's a more practical way of viewing peak performance? But I'll, I'll set that to the side for a little bit. When I'm working with elite athletes or elite executives or people that are really trying to maximize and move the needle, there has to be almost as a, at a foundational level, a bit of a certainly obsession and at least a tremendous passion in doing well with this particular craft. 
if you're not solely passionate about it and if you kind of lack that level of obsession, you can be incredibly talented and still end up being elite. And you do see that at the collegiate levels. I mean, there's some guys that can roll out of bed and still run a, a 4-2-40. Um, but for those individuals that really end up having a sustainable career in the, in the, in the league or in other business-oriented or entrepreneurial type of landscapes, they really have to be fully committed and obsessive to their craft, incredibly passionate about it, and also... Uh, it doesn't have to be a requirement, but you but you often see that there's this chip on your shoulder or almost a look over your shoulder that if I if I no longer continue this obsessive quest that someone will catch me or whatever success I'm achieving right now will no longer be a reality and I'll no longer be uh, achieving it. And I think that really drives and lights a fire under a lot of people's asses to continue engaging in the craft at the level that they are. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So something Josh and I experienced, and I'm sure you probably experienced something similar after leaving the sport that you've poured your life and your success into, right? Like I, when I got out of college, I identified myself like, hey, I was a wrestler and I tied a lot of my success into that wrestling. And when you lose that, it can have a pretty big impact on you mentally. How do you balance that obsession and that drive to be successful with mental health and knowing that, hey, I'm not, my personality, my, who I am is not tied to my success in this thing. It's so hard. And, and that's the paradox of sport. And whether you're talking about an athlete or an actor or a dancer or a musician, early on, and maybe even throughout the course of our entire lives, we connect to this endeavor, right? This athletics endeavor. And we get a lot of reinforcement for that. We get a lot of validation for that. And so it reinforces the creation of this identity that I can, I can be this athlete guy or this athlete girl, and that's going to bring positive things into my life. But in order to be really good at that, you have to be mentally tough. You're taught to rub dirt on things. You're taught to just sweep things under the rug, keep growing, keep working hard. Oh, it's not that bad. It's just a scratch. And what that then teaches you, it's kind of counterproductive to seeking help for mental health. Mm -hmm. So you have this obsessive craft that you really want to do well in that also teaches you that seeking help for things isn't exactly how athletes go about doing their business. So that's a conflict. And you move on from that and you've put so much stake and deposit and investment into this athletic identity to the exclusion of anything else, mm -hmm. now you take that away and you're left with a void because there's been no diversification of your human portfolio. But it's so hard to diversify your human portfolio when you have to spend so much time doing the athletic thing in order to become good at it. Mm -hmm. So how can you have your cake and eat it too? And so you see a lot of individuals, a lot of individuals that when they're forced to move on from their sport, that it's tough mm -hmm. because now there's this void there's no diversification and they're stuck. Would it almost make sense to kind of have, I guess rehabilitation would be the word for it. Like for athletes who aren't going on to continue to be athletes after college, having some type of program to reintroduce you into the world. It's like, hey, you're not going to have a coach to tell you what to do every every day. You're not going to have scheduled practices. Like I feel like maybe that, I mean, we're getting completely 
off topic here in terms of the outline, but I think Ohio State does have programs like that for athletes, getting a job, going through the life thing. Like you're not going to have people telling you what to eat, when to do it, when to sleep, when to work out. So you're going to have to plan all that for yourself. Like having that type of a program, I could see being really beneficial for a lot of athletes. Yeah. And, and a lot of places do have those. Mm -hmm. um, I think the struggle is, and there's a lot of great resources. NFL has great resources now. All the major leagues have great resources because mental health is so paramount mm -hmm. in that understanding that there's life after sport. The, the, the problem is it's, it's almost like when your parents would tell you, Oh, well, kind of the I told you so. You don't believe it until it actually happens. So even though there's these resources available, it's like, ah, no, I'll be different. I'll be able to, I'm going to play a really long time and I'll be fine. Or no, I know that's an issue for these other people. Mm -hmm. But when I retire, I'm going to be very well equipped to handle that retirement. And so they don't utilize those resources necessarily when they're right in front of them until after the fact and they realize, uh, oh, holy shit, they were right. This does suck. I do feel like less of a person right now. Well, and the funny thing about elite athletes is they're told their whole life you're different, right? Like, and so it makes sense. Like it's kind of that, that just conundrum of like you've been told your whole life, hey, you're going to be special. You're going to be different. You're going to be, you know, elite. And when you get to that level and you are that elite, like I could totally see why you, you would be, you'd. The, th the thought would never cross your mind that I wouldn't be able to handle something or I wouldn't be able to kind of push through something. So Right. And you wouldn't think, I mean, we're talking about sport, right? We're talking also, about a game. Yeah. And, and, and the armchair quarterback or even just for an individual like myself that's a sports psychologist or, mm -hmm. or for you all that, that participate in sport, at surface level, it's like you're throwing a football, you're catching a football, you're, you're shooting a double, you're, you're shooting a, a free throw. How does this identity piece get so wrapped up? But we've discussed how it, it really can become this complex identity that emerges with a lot of layers around it. Mm -hmm. And then you move on from that. And then you have to find a way to deconstruct those layers, peeling them off, and then finding who is actually underneath that, that I'm going to carry with me or, and or become more of the rest of my life. And that is a exciting opportunity for folks, but it's also really terrifying because what is underneath there? Mm -hmm. And so as a result, you're faced with a really big question mark and you don't necessarily know what you're going to find. But a lot of people end up going through that process and being able to find some really great success on the other end. It's kind of the center of, of when we work together like that, they, everything that we would talk through during our sessions to some extent, like the big struggle that I always had was how do you how do you untie your self-worth from that, that self-identity that you start to build up? And then once you start diving into those layers, like actually figuring out what is the why behind why I tie my self-worth to those two things. And it's got to differ between every single individual, but that was probably the hardest question to answer. And then even once I think I found out the answer to it, it's like you're, you're so hardwired to act the way you do as a human that you know, you could have a session once a week or two sessions a week and you just keep going back to it and have the same conversation over and over and over again because it's just like so hard to break that, especially been that obsessive about it for that many years. Well, I think in television, you have the problem, like the expectation of like, you know, like you see in television, whenever therapy or, you know, going in and talking to someone is shown, there's always some breakthrough scene where they're like, oh, I understand myself now. And I don't ever have to go to therapy again. And it's like, that's not how that works. I think that's just the beginning. Yeah, it's not at yeah. all. Like, you're like, oh, I had a revelation. But like, you're going to be like, I think to get to know yourself takes your entire life. Like, you can't, like, you're constantly changing. No doubt. I mean, you do get pieces of that from time to time. I remember I saw a guy when I was going through my internship at Ball State in Muncie, Indiana. 
which already probably describes where my mindset was at, spending an entire year in Muncie, Indiana, not knocking Muncie, Indiana, you know, go cards, but it was a tough year. And I remember my therapist saying to me, Steve, you're not depressed, you're tired. And that was a huge, like, aha moment mm-hmm. for me. But absolutely. I mean, if, if I just carry Steve, you're not depressed, you're tired with me my entire life and look at that as the holy grail that I'd already had found when I was 23 years old and all the rest of my life circumstances and struggles are going to be healed as a result of that one realization and aha. Yeah. Hugely mistaken. Right. right? <laughs> so it is a process. And sometimes that is just the beginning, but it is an unraveling. And we find ourselves in so many different chapters over the course of our life that what we need in chapter one could be very, very different than what we'll ultimately need in chapter five. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. Let's kind of pivot the conversation, talk a little bit about my endurance. So, you know, you you get the idea for the company. What? How do you start going about building that? And, you know, what steps do you take initially early on? What were the challenges early on for you? Yeah. So a little bit of a context as, as far as how, why I decided to start my endurance. So I was at Ohio State, which many could argue was an absolute dream job. And in a lot of ways it was, I was able to, to work with a lot of great athletes, be at my alma mater, work with tremendous colleagues and great direction in the sports medicine staff, as well as the athletic staff. But over time I recognized, well, I'm still, I'm still an employee. And I'm also seeing a lot of people and there's some psychologists and therapists and counselors and social workers that have a tremendous bandwidth to see a lot of people over the course of the week. And I had found, and I think this was part of my struggle during my internship at Ball State, where I'm not a 30 client a week type of guy. Like that just really starts to, maybe I need to do more teaching. I need to be out more. And so that really starts to decrease my energy. So I took a vacation uh, with some high school buddies to Thailand and Vietnam, and I completely got bit by the travel bug. And at the same time, I was reading Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, which really opened my eyes to, no, I know I'm not going to work four hours a week. Like that is, that's something I don't even want. But it was more of the philosophy about doing what you want to do in a way that you want to do it. And so between traveling and realizing that I wanted to travel more, a recognition that I could provide people psychological services in a way that was beyond the brick and mortar and less traditional really inspired me to think differently about how I could do my work. And so my endurance was something that was floating around in my head uh, for a little while. And I made the decision that this is something that I wanted to do. Now, the challenge behind that is One, I'm still attached to Ohio State. And so it was when you have a hand that's feeding you and a hand that's feeding you that's pretty good, it's really difficult to hustle the new baby and to really grow the new baby. So though my endurance was created and I did the LLC thing and I started a website and all that, I was still working at Ohio State from full-time to part-time and then from part-time to kind of like on a uh, online type of a basis. So a challenge was really making the decision, now is the time where I have to essentially burn the boat, if you will, leave Ohio State, cut that umbilical cord, and now it is Steve Grafe and my endurance having to figure it out. And truth be told, I thought, well, shit, I was the sports psychologist at Ohio State. Clients are going to be coming in droves to to work with me. And uh, that was definitely not the case. I mean, 
regardless of how much pedigree and, and experience that you had, you still had to learn how to grow, sell, and market a, a business. And that was a huge wake-up call for me. And truth be told, it's something that I'm still figuring out, but especially right after leaving Ohio State, understanding, okay, well, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. I have to continue to keep putting one foot in front of the other, identifying and, and celebrating small wins and continuing to move forward. Now, granted, this is a bit of an, uh, an offset, but I live and work out of an RV. So now my endurance is a completely virtual practice. So I'm able to meet with clients wherever I'm at and when I'm doing coaching, wherever they're at. And so I don't have to make a lot of money in order to like live the type of lifestyle that I want to live. But even at that, you still need clients coming in. Mm -hmm. So once you get it up and running, when you learn, you, you, okay, I got to market it, I got to sell it. How do you start to grow something like that especially in a way where it's it's such a unique a unique service where almost the individual has to realize maybe to really get value out of it, they want it first and you kind of have to spark that motivation inside of them. So how do you begin to build your client base and to get the ball rolling? Yeah, so there's a lot of word of mouth that comes through, which which is certainly like in any business, but there's this concept of the ascension model, right? Where you try to put out content that speaks to the pain points of the clients that you ultimately wanna work with. So maybe that is helping individuals, athletes, executives, performing artists, musicians, to be more confident in themselves or to figure out how's doubt getting in the way of you achieving the types of goals that you want to achieve. And you, and you do your best to try to speak to those. And that's the marketing coming out. But I'm a psychologist, right? So I, I don't have marketing training. So those are things that I'm still testing and experimenting with a little bit, like what is actually going to speak to people. But then once I'm able to get onto the phone and have what essentially is like a sales call and saying, this is how I go about doing my work, what's going on with you, and having that initial conversation as a quick little consult call, then they're able to see, all right, well, this guy kind of gets me. I feel like he's somebody that can actually help with my concerns. And then they take you up on that, on that process. But some people, some people, they know that they need counseling or they know that they need coaching and they'll put it off. They'll kick the can down the road for months, if not years, mm -hmm. until that trigger point when they realize, all right, now's the time to pick up the phone or send that email. And then once you get into the weeds with somebody, like it's got to be an extremely daunting, almost maybe an overwhelming, maybe not for you now because how much you've done it, but uh, to sit across from somebody, have them say like, okay, I want your, I want, yeah, I want your help, and I expect you to give it to me. Now I'm going to spill all my problems to you, and you're like, okay, this person's paying me. Now I have to find a way to help them. Like, how how do you begin to work them through that process? How do you work with your clients? Yeah. So. And, and I, I do cash pay too. So I don't have, quote, the luxury of the soft insurance landing where somebody can just, well, insurance is paying for this. So even if the psychologist isn't that great, insurance is paying for it, right? But when someone's paying cash, you do, especially early on, I got this additional sense of anxiety. You're like, wow, yeah, I really have to, I really have to bring it. And it's amazing where on the surface level, what we do isn't all that terribly difficult or complicated. It's not rocket science being a psychologist or a counselor. Probably more difficult being a researcher than it is actually being like an applied clinician. I'm listening to what the person has to say. And I think ultimately they then put all these puzzle pieces out in front of us on the table. And with my trained ear, I'm able to sort through these puzzle pieces collaboratively to see what type of picture is emerging and what feels like the most urgent figure, the most prioritized 
concern or issue that we need to work through. But early on, I mean, it really is. It's a lot coming at you and, and you have to distill through those these all the stimuli that's coming at you because some people, this is the first person they've talked about a lot of these things with. So they may be really quick to the game if they're an extrovert and just, just unload it. And so you have to kind of track all these different figures that are coming at you. All right, this one seems important. This one they mentioned, it was kind of a hot button, but I'll hold on to that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you're tracking this entire time. And then if you have an introvert that does speak a lot, that poses some of its own challenges as well as how do you draw out the right information from them to help them feel more comfortable speaking more about it. Is there an advantage to doing it the cash route? Was there a reason you chose that? You know, as opposed to yeah, laziness. Okay. You know, Love laziness. It. Don't want to have to track and down them. Going shirts. back to the beginning, yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you um, lazy national champions, you <laughs> right, 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 riding coattails. Yeah, with exactly. A lot of effort. <laughs> okay, cool. I just wasn't sure if there was like you know a legality or something. No, you know, you know there's softwares that make it a little easier now, and I, I'm sure I could hire an assistant to kind of help push that paperwork. But certainly early on, I just wanted to mm-hmm. try to reduce it and make it as as simple as possible. And here's here's the price. And yeah, let's go from there. I'm sure there's there's clients that would respect that too. You know, dealing with like legal, for example, I'm you know every time I get into some situation, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, and I gotta find the person who does, and then pay them to figure out who I gotta pay. And you know, if you can just, it's broken down very simply. You know, that's I bet that's a it allows clients that may not want, you know, that could be another wall for them to want to talk to you. They've already got problems, and now they're like, I don't have to figure out how to talk to you, and then talk to you. So that could be a, a good thing. It streamlines and somewhat as a stigma reducer, there's still folks that want their counseling to be very, very private. Mm-hmm. And so there is some concern sometimes that if I put this or ask my insurance to reimburse me for this, that in some ways it is now my insurance knows that I'm receiving psychological yeah. help and what might be some of the downstream effects associated with that. Mm-hmm. So that can be a concern for some folks. Mm-hmm. Hey everybody, Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Revolution Group and Revolution Group specifically today. You know, we've talked about them in the past and they were on the show a while back, but really, really appreciative of them sponsoring us after that. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk today about their managed IT services. So they have complete technology management of your business with remote and onsite IT support for everything from email to Wi-Fi to help set up your employee's new iPhone. And I know a lot of teams struggle with this. We struggle with this. We sometimes say at our company, hey, who's IT around here? And truth is, it's nobody. So uh, if you need somebody to kind of help support your team with those types of small issues, as well as the big issues like cybersecurity consulting to keep you and your data safe, as well as you know, having a virtual chief information officer for your business to coordinate the strategy behind your technology decisions, they can really help take care of that. And their core business is really taking care of your technology and allowing you to focus on your core business. And that's Revolution Group. If you want to learn more about them, go check out their website, revolutiongroup.com. That's revolutiongroup.com and tell them Concrete Columbus sent you. So I think two components of working with yourself or someone like yourself that's always helped me the most. One is like going through the dialogue of, of just asking questions and learning why I do what I do and, and what's happening at a deeper level. The other component is like the comfort of knowing that you're not absolutely insane. You know, that like that there's other people out there going through it. So to transition it to like where my question is in the meat of that, as you've worked with these elite level people, um, is it is it everybody's like, is, are the top performers not suffering the same problems that that lower performing people are or is everybody really suffering deep stuff and some people just hide it better than others i think the latter with a caveat you know we we all have our shit you know lebron has his 
Tiger Woods certainly has his, but even Roger Federer has his, you know, and it might not necessarily occur on the tennis court or on the basketball court, but we all have something. I mean, we're these really evolved cave people navigating this crazy world. So with that's going to come suffering. With that's going to come discomfort. With that is going to come all sorts of things that we have to navigate and manage at a particular time. LeBron, he has to figure out how to navigate a multi-damn near billion dollar empire. I'm sure that leads to stress. So maybe it's less about basketball, but it's about these other aspects of of life. So I would say, yeah. And in fact, it was interesting. I was was traveling around and I went to Graceland. Super cool. I, I do enjoy myself some Elvis. And on, on the wall in one of the exhibits, it said, it was a quote from Elvis, and it said, every single time I get on stage, I still have stage fright. And this is the king of rock and roll, the birther of rock and roll, stage fright. Mm-hmm. Had millions of fans adoring him, and that cat still had stage fright. So absolutely, I think even though the most elite, physically, endurance-wise, whatever it might be, even financially, there's still doubt uh, and there's still something that shows up in them in the middle of the night, in the morning, in the afternoon that can sometimes be difficult to kick. So let's say you notice you do have a barrier like that or a doubt or something like that. Like other than just talking to someone about it, is there any ways people can work on that? Is there ways that, you know, if you feel like, hey, I, I notice, you know, I tend to say you're from San Diego a lot, say I'm from San Diego a lot, <laughs> or I tend that to, I tend to put a ceiling on where I think I'm, I can get to, right. You know, something like that, right. Like how can people work on those types of barriers? I think number one is this acknowledgement and appreciation and acceptance of whatever that is. And the reason why that's so important is, is I think there's a lot of folks that get hard on themselves or beat themselves up when they have this type of barrier. And the big thing that I'll find, especially with like athletes or, or all sorts of folks, is they'll get anxious about the fact that they're doing something, like maybe some performance anxiety. I got to go out and perform. I'm really, really anxious about it. And that's one thing. But then they like beat themselves up over the fact that they're being anxious about mm. going out and performing. Yeah, you shouldn't be worried. You're ready for this. You trained. Why are you, why are you worried? Right, exactly. So it's this uh, interesting kind of adding on of, yeah, I'm anxious about the fact that I'm going to perform, and now I'm beating myself up over the fact that I'm feeling anxious. And so if you could at least get rid of that upper layer of stop beating yourself up if you're, if you're sad, Stop beating yourself up if you happen to experience anxiety. Stop beating yourself up if you're doubting yourself from time to time or if you feel like you have a mental block. Don't beat yourself up for that. Acknowledge, appreciate, and accept that you are a complex human being trying to navigate the ups and downs of life. And so that in and of itself, kind of embodying this idea of acceptance, acknowledgement, and appreciation that we don't always have it all figured out. And there can be some little psychological demons that pop up from time to time. I think that takes the sting and intensity away from when it shows up. So that's one. Yeah. And then two, then there's an opportunity to kind of take a deep breath and hit the reset button and kind of clear your mind to then more effectively think through, all right, So what is it that I actually need to do, think, or feel now that's going to serve me and better mitigate and manage the little psychological demon so that it doesn't get in the way of me living the type of life that I want to live? And for those following at home, it's A, B, C. A, acknowledge, appreciate, and accept whatever psychological demon happens to be showing up. B, breathe 
to dry off that dry eraser board, shake off the Etch-A-Sketch to have a clear mind and spirit and body, and then C, choose what you want to think, feel, or do next. And that choosing what to think, feel, or do next, that could be all sorts of things. That could be journaling. That could be having a difficult conversation with a partner. Uh, that could be going for a run. That could be going to a psychologist, getting a massage, engaging in better time management skills, you know, whatever it might be. But that's a process that I end up taking a lot of my clients through. And it's kind of a psychological first aid for a lot of folks. How do you see that applied, your ability to visualize yourself to be at a higher level personally? So like the acknowledgement feels super relieving and and the fact that you can just say, okay, I accept what the truth is and understand that that truth is okay, but then still the ability to actually picture yourself at that next level or really wrap it into your DNA. Like, does that just come through meditation, you think, or or how have you seen people solve that? Yeah. So I, I think it's a few things. It's creating counter arguments to the demon. So bringing another voice into that boardroom. So the demon has a chair at the board table, right? Now where's the cheerleader, right? Where's the, where's the rational researcher that also can come in and say, well, dude, you never, you've never failed in your life. What makes you think you're going to fail now? So those counter arguments can be really impactful too. Mm-hmm. But to your point, that visualization, even if people don't necessarily believe that what they want is actually in store for them through visualization. And for those at home, visualization doesn't have to be this woo woo type of thing. It's simply just picturing yourself doing the thing that you want to do. You know, you don't have to light candles. You don't have to like hook yourself, your head up to electrodes. It's simply if, if I want to see myself making seven figures, seeing what that looks like. And then it makes it more likely that you're able to accomplish that. Not necessarily because you're sending these magnetic brain waves into the universe and the universe is going to send it back, but it simply allows you to see with greater confidence that, oh, wow, like maybe that is something that I could actually achieve. And so to your point, that visualization becomes really helpful. And we do it in athletics all the time. Uh, Every single week prior to playing a game on Saturday, we watched a ton of film, ton of film, ton of film. Well, why are we watching a ton of film? We're watching a ton of film so that we can anticipate and visualize what we as a team or an individual member is going to do in these particular situations. So it realizes the unknown and it makes the unknown more known because we're able to visualize it, see it in front of us, and then put ourselves in those positions to be successful at what it is that we need to do. And the same thing applies in our personal or professional lives as well is seeing ourselves doing that gets mental reps. So then it increases confidence for us to actually engage in the steps required to to make it there. JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators, and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years, providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. 
And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation. So how has the practice changed over time? Like, I mean, since the day you started it and it's obviously been a while, so you've got it going and you're still under the travel situation. Like, what does life look like today? What does the practice look like today? And where do you want to take it moving forward? Yeah, so the practice today, well, the lifestyle today is I, I, I live in a Winnebago Travado. And so I just bebop around the country. Holy shit, it's or, Winnebago. Or, or nationally. <laughs> and I'm able to take calls through Zoom. And so it's a lot, I, I kind of phrase it as mental fitness coaching. So, you know, COVID is putting a little bit of a, a, a damper in that. But uh, as long as I accomplish three things each day, that's what a typical day looks like. And I'm not one of these like wake up four in the morning type of guys. If I can accomplish these three things, because as you might imagine, living in an RV, the downside of that is it's hard to find routine and habit and structure. When you're living in a stable place, you have your gym, you have your coffee shop, you have your friends places like in your restaurants, your bars. So it's like rinse and repeat. So it's automatic. When you're in a new place all the time, You have to constantly reinvent that. And it's taken me a really long time to kind of figure this out. But essentially, I need three things each day. I need to exercise, I need to work, and I need to socialize. So as I encounter a new place, I'll find a place to exercise, whether that's yoga, paddle boarding, getting lap swimming in, going for a hike. That's one piece. Second piece is finding a great coffee shop where I can go and link in and and, and get some good work. And then three is finding cool restaurants, bars, people to hang out with to, to, to stimulate myself socially. And it doesn't necessarily matter at what point over the day those things happen as long as I get those things happening. So that's kind of what a typical day is. Uh, Morning is blog, content writing, thinking through kind of deep things and creating materials. Usually in the afternoon is when I'll meet with my clients. And then in the evening, I'll go out and do something or that'll be kind of more creative work, less intensive creative work, but just kind of like some brainstorming, looking towards the future and stuff. My endurance currently is a lot of one-on-one based things. Uh, I have online courses that I've created, uh, one called the ABCs of Mental Performance, the other called You're Not Crazy, You're Stressed. So there's two courses, each of them have 30 modules uh, that essentially walk people through if they want mental enhancement, but they don't necessarily wanna pay for a one-on-one counselor or psychologist, they're able to kind of do it on their own and, and follow their own way. Similarly, if they're looking to manage stress more effectively and figure out how to manage stress more effectively. So there's that piece and then some one-on-one coaching. And in the future where I'd like to see it go is to be able to uh, continue to offer some, some online resources for folks, but also bringing a group component into it as well. So kind of a 30-day eh, boot camp or something where I'm able to go through some of this mental fitness curriculum with folks and they have this accountability and shared networking and connection that allows people to feel like you're in that together, uh, share stories um, so that together everyone is able to kind of move the needle in their mental fitness capacities. And so that's where I'd like to see myself in the in the future, being able to do those types of things. And again, with kind of the practical peak performance so often we think of peak performance as the Michael Phelpses, as the Warren Buffetts, like these these moguls of like really, really high performance. And I think that's great for a lot of people. But then there's a lot of people that are just like myself that we just want to move the needle a little bit, right? Like we just want to manage stress a little more effectively, have our relationships be a little better, you know, maybe be a little more organized and manage our time more effectively. 
And, you know, that's not like Tony Robbins level of peak performance, but it's enough peak performance that if you're able to, you know, save 3% of your energy, feeling more efficient and productive and maximized, that's 3% more energy to spend with your kids, you know, the things you enjoy doing and the other passions that you have in your life. Where all has the Winnebago been in 2021 so far? Ooh, in 2021, Florida, all over Florida, Chattanooga, Austin, Texas, Nashville, Memphis, Little Rock, Arkansas, and New York City. Driving that thing down the street in New York City. Hard to park that. No, a little trick. I actually uh, park it at the Trenton uh, Transit outside of Philadelphia, and then I take the Jersey Transit into the city. Mm -hmm. That makes more sense. I was like, no way you got that Winnebago around the streets in New York. No, but one of these days. I had a hard enough time. I had a I had a truck in college, and it was just an old Dodge Dakota. And I had a hard enough time getting that thing around the streets, of New York City, much less a Winnebago. That truck actually has one of my favorite stories ever that everybody enjoys. Should should appreciate hearing this. He said he used to is. used to live leave his change in his cup holder, and then he said oh, he would come in in the homeless. They would take his change, buy lottery tickets, scratch off lottery tickets, leave it on the floor of his truck. And then they would just do it habitually. Yeah. But then Mike just continued to refill the change jars if it was like <laughs> so, some type of homeless like, lottery ticket convenient machine. You know, he'd come, like it, this happened three or four times where like I'd come in the car and there'd be like I'd know that the person was there because they would take the change, they'd go buy the lottery tickets, and then they'd come back to the car to scratch them. I don't know why, but this person would like come back <laughs> to the car, get in my truck sit in the driver's seat and scratch the lottery tickets off and he'd leave me the losing tickets. What I don't know if he ever won. I respect, I respect this guy so but much. I, or like, girl, I respect, maybe. Well, like to the point where this I was person. like, I mean, you know, if that's, if that's what you're going to do, I guess you deserve it. Like I just kept leaving the change in the jar and I came back and there'd be, there'd be lotto tickets. Did the car not lock? Or is this? Uh, there's, it had a broken back window. Gotcha. And so like the window was never fixed. I think Wasn't he climbed really in through the wind. Like at some point, like I'm pretty confident either climbing through the back window. So I'm like, if you're going to go through that much effort, man, like, I hope you win your lotto ticket someday. It's just change. Eventually he stopped, so maybe he did. Well, I moved. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, poor guy, poor guy lost his lotto ticket oh. uh, change car. I hope he's listening right now. He'll I find so. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll find me somewhere. So, so how do you pick where you just throw throw a dart at a board and you're just like, hey, little, like Little Rock, Arkansas, I feel like I would have skipped over that one maybe. <laughs> so I actually, I visited a, a buddy of mine who, who I used to play football with, and he got a, a defensive coordinator, assistant coach job at Arkansas State in mm-hmm. Jonesboro. So after I went to Memphis, I went and visited him. And then Little Rock was a natural pass by on the way to Dallas. And I was on my way to Austin to see a concert from a great band called Jamestown Revival. So that's usually uh, often it's weather dependent. So December, January, February, like I knew I wanted to get down to Florida and just soak up some vitamin D in the warm weather there. Concerts. So if there's a band that I want to see, I will I will travel for shows and I will go see those bands in cool cities, particularly if they're not like coming anywhere near Ohio. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll go to them. So that's another piece. Uh, a third piece is I've gotten really into paddle boarding. You know, some folks after their their athletic days, they go really hard into the weights and such. And I've just gone really hard into like the low impact uh, types of exercises. So the swimming, the yoga, golf, uh, paddle boarding. And so I'll try to find like good, cool, scenic bodies of water, take the paddle board too. So that'll, that'll determine where I take the Winnebago as well. 
Do you live in it when you're in Columbus or in Ohio as well? Yeah. So when I'm in Columbus, I do. So the way that I've kind of found, and when I'm back in Akron, I'll stay with my parents and my younger brother. So the way that I found is what I love doing is coming back to Columbus and Akron. And for like two months, I'll just really soak up friend and family time Mm -hmm. and just really be mindful in the moment, be with my people. And then I'll go away. And then I'll go away for two months, whether that's here in the States or somewhere international. And then I'll... I'll know when it's kind of time to, time to come back. Usually that's about two, two and a half months. And then I'll come back, soak up friend and family time, and then go off into the wild again. Do you park the RV when you're here or you kind of move it around? I move it around, yeah. So you never want to be kind of in the same space yep. every, all the time. So I move it around. But I have some spots that are my go-tos from time to time, yeah, to keep it mm-hmm. moving. Nice. How much of your time on the road is spent with other people versus alone? A lot of it's alone, A lot of it, when I'm driving, I'm alone. So that's why it's really important for me to go to a coffee shop, be around other people, uh, go out to a restaurant, sit at the bar, eat at the bar, um, and to be able to engage, you know, with with people that way and get some socializing there. So I spend a lot of time, I would say a decent amount of time in isolation uh, by myself. But then that's also what makes it so important for me to come back and do that two months of really friend and family time, socialize, connect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there is a lot of time spent by myself listening to music, a lot of windshield time, a lot of deep thought, solving the world's problems, creative ideas. So uh, that space is actually kind of sacred too, you know, because Mm -hmm. in my line of work, um, it's a very on in it type of work as a lot of people's works are. Mm. Um, but I think that also promotes kind of the enjoyment that I'll get from just not having to talk to anybody right now. Was that hard at first to be alone for that long? No, you, you know what? The older I get, I'm starting to think that maybe I am a trained extrovert and that perhaps I'm actually more introverted than I ever thought I was. So it actually was pretty nice. I, I can get in my head a lot and and not like uh, like spiral, but I just, I'm a thinker and I really enjoy just thinking. And so when I have individuals around that can maybe disrupt that a bit, there's other things that they're offering perhaps in that moment. So I don't need to be in thinker mode, but when I'm in thinker mode and I'm by myself, it, it actually feels kind of nice. And so it actually wasn't a, a difficult transition. I think learning how to sleep in the RV was uh, more of the transition because there's a lot of like just external noises that you take for granted when you're in a place. So if I'm parking in a Walmart parking lot, for instance, truckers might be pulling in and out in the middle of the night. Though I'm not waking up, it's still something in me is waking up, right? And so the, the sleep can be a little compromised sometimes. Hey everybody, we're gonna take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza I don't or anything. think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the yeah. time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's man, what I was going to say. Is, as soon oh. as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best. We're talking about the restaurant, but Hybeck's a lot more than just a restaurant. They just stole whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently. And I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine. And it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. 
If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events. Right now they're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant somewhere to watch the game, if you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I promise you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. Well, I think, you know, that's a great place to kind of pivot towards our our last question of the show centers around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. Mm. So without telling you too much about why we chose that one, what do you think of when you hear it and how does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, I, I love that. Well, I'll break it down. I mean, first off is is live. And we all have our different definitions of that. You know, for me, it's like as long as I have a roof over my head, food in my belly, and people that love and care about me, everything else is icing on the cake. And that's a big deal for me. Like the ultimate life hack is I try to think, all right, what would my, what's my 80-year-old self ultimately going to give a shit about? And it's not how much was in my bank account. It's not even necessarily how many concerts I saw or, or those types of things. It's, it's did I have close connections and did I take care of myself and do the types of things that I that I find thrilling. And so everyone's going to have their definition of, of live, but, but that's certainly a part of mine. And then the uncomfortably, you know, so what is uncomfortable? It, uncomfortable is without comfort. And so I think we all, and this is part of my line of work is we get uncomfortable in, or we want to be more comfortable in a, in a lot of different things. And I'll, and I'll bring up emotion, right? Sadness is uncomfortable for people. Anxiety is uncomfortable for people. Conflict is uncomfortable for people. Even happiness. Like if you're really happy about the way your life is going, but your buddy's going through a difficult time, your happiness can even be uncomfortable for you because you feel bad sharing it when somebody else is downtrodden. So I think the ability for all of us to just live uncomfortably, meaning deal with it all, right? All of it is part of the human experience. And the more that we try to run away from it, drink ourselves through it, escape it, avoid it, whatever your particular tactic is, ultimately we're just, it's still there. So I think by living uncomfortably and and engaging in life uncomfortably, what you instead do is you open your arms, your heart, and your mind to all of it. And so then when you encounter it, it's not surprising. And if it's not surprising, you can deal with it. You can manage it. You can navigate it and proceed in the life that you ultimately want to live. So embrace it all. I do have one final question. So, cause I think it's valuable to the listeners. You <laughs> like, so like I'm, I'm constantly just like over and, and I know it, but it doesn't mean I can, I necessarily can change it or maybe I don't even want to like, just focus on what's next, what's next, what's next. And if I lived a lifestyle like yours, I think I would go insane because like, I just couldn't, I would just have to know that everything I was doing was teeing me up for the next move. And you seem just so very calm and okay with the moment and in the present. I mean, like, if you just think about your lifestyle, it doesn't necessarily reflect, and maybe you check me if I'm wrong, but the ability to, like, sit down and have kids and things like that, you know, and, like, somebody might be worried about that as they're as they're growing older. How do you, how, how have you found so much peace in just saying, like, hey, this is what makes me happy now, and I'm going to live this way, and whatever happens, happens? Or maybe you don't, but that's a vibe I get from you. Well, I would say that's an, that's an accurate vibe for the most part, but I still 
mind screw myself. I mean, I uh, trust me. I'm 39 years old with a man bun living in an RV. I, I am I am Matt Foley. I'm a motivational speaker living in a van sometimes down by the river. And so it's not always puppy dogs and rainbows and positive up in up in my head either. The the thing that I think um, a strength of mine that I that I think is that helps with that is a realization that. I'm doing the things right now that I that I value and I, and I'm passionate about and I have the and as a result I have the freedom and flexibility that if and when I need to pivot I can. And however until that point happens I'm being very deliberate. You know, my life can also seem very selfish to a lot of people as well, but actually the freedom and flexibility by having an online business, living in an RV, having extra disposable cash and time allows me to ultimately spend time with the people that I know I'm going to wish I spent time with when I'm 80 years old. And in this case, it's it's friends and, and family where I'm able to go back to my parents' house, hang out with them for six weeks, feel really solid about that connection, and then move on. Because I know it might not, well, I, I know it probably won't always be that way. Yeah. Right? And so that's how I've chosen to navigate life right now. And so it gives me some peace that it, it feels right. And I can also anticipate that eh, there's a possibility it might not be that way forever. Awesome. Well, Steve, it's been great talking to you, man. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks for coming in and, and chatting with us. Hey, I really appreciate it. You guys are doing a great thing. You know, conquering Columbus brings a lot of ears and eyes to a great city. And there's a lot of tremendous people here. And even though I bebop around, it's always so awesome to come back within uh, 270 and in the 614 because the people speak for themselves. And so uh, the three of you all that's sitting in front of me are testaments to that. So keep doing what you're doing. And if you're out there today listening, keep doing what you're doing and keep being able to just move the needle and embrace that which you need to embrace. Yeah, and if you guys want to find out more about uh, Steve or my endurance, go to... Yeah, absolutely. So I have an Instagram. It's at Mindurance, M-I-N-D-U-R-A-N-C-E. And then I also have a website, www.mindurance.org. Nice. And uh, again, everybody out there listening, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more just like them every week, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. But uh, we really do appreciate your support. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.